all of you here today. Let me, let there be light. Let there be light. See? You speak it and you receive it. See? There we go. Good to see all of you here today. And um, I'm so glad to see that you came to church. And, you know, uh, we now looking at, at you, I know that we can't combine the 9 and 11, at least at this point. We were wondering, do we just combine them and do one? But we couldn't because the 9 o'clock was very well attended as well. So um, we're going to be in 9 and 11 until this passes, and then we'll just see where God takes us. But it's good to see you. Um, you look happy today in spite of everything. Everybody glad to worship God? Yeah. Amen. I want to tell you um, real quickly, Friday night I was invited to be at, on a round table with a group of primarily African-American um, pastors and spiritual leaders. And they invited me. And I think I, me and one other guy were the only vanilla there. Okay. But we talked, and I heard them, and they heard me. Uh, they wanted to hear my thoughts on what's been going on in the country, and then um, <clears throat> I listened to them. And I'm going to tell you, I left so encouraged. This group, and I'm going to say there was probably 30-ish, 30 of them, and um, they were not spewing the national narrative of anger and rage and hate and division. They want healing. And I wasn't spewing the national narrative. I want healing. And um, I want to just reiterate to you again today that we, I want a multiracial church. I've always wanted. There's not a, I think, a, seriously, I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying, uh, to me, a segregated church is antithetical to the whole gospel. Because if you, how can you say God loves you if, if only one race is welcome. That's insane. And I hate to break it to the people that want segregation. Uh, you're not going to be comfortable in heaven because it's going to be very unsegregated in heaven. Amen. So I was so glad to be able to part, be a part of this group. And I'm writing a book on my message from two weeks ago um, when I spoke on Jesus, the wall breaker. I'm writing a book on bringing racial healing uh, to the church and to our culture. The only way I know to counter evil is to, is to counter it with good. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And the good is the word of God. So it was great to be with that group of uh, brethren. And I want to let you know that. Now, I want to talk to you today about what you're standing on. What you're standing on. Jesus taught a lot about what you're standing on. Are you standing on sand or are you standing on the rock? Now, what I want to read is what Jesus said at the very end of the greatest sermon ever preached. Greatest sermon ever preached in history was the Sermon on the Mount. The, nobody ever preached a message like the Sermon on the Mount. It was a masterpiece from the Master himself. And at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus said, now let me tell you why it's important that you not only hear what I just said, but that you do it, you live it, you practice it, okay? He said, I'm going to give you an illustration of two builders. Let's talk about two people building a house. 
He says in Matthew 7, 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, everybody say does them, will be like a wise man who built his house on what? The rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house. The Greek language here for for beat is violently crashed against the house. But it did not fall. Why didn't it fall? Because it was founded on the rock. What was the rock? Hearing his teachings and doing them. Now verse 26, everybody who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell. Same, same storm came. And the rain fell. The floods came. The winds blew. And they beat violently against that house. And what happened to it, everybody? It fell. And it's always intriguing me. Je- Jesus tagged this one, this second builder, and his house crashing with these next words. Great was the fall of it. When a life crashes, when somebody's life crashes, and they walk away from the faith or whatever, they give up on prayer, give up on God, uh, you go, how in the world could that happen? Here's how. They built on sand. The foundation was faulty. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today, what you're standing on. What are you standing on? You standing on the rock? Are you building on sand? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your word today. Lord, how we need to hear your word and how we need more than ever before to be building our house on the rock, on Christ himself and his teachings. So Lord, help us to do it. Help us to get this. Help us to understand it. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, shout to your neighbor, build on the rock. What is that truck commercial, like a rock? Isn't that a truck commercial? Like a rock, like a rock. Okay, well, I don't know why that came to me. It came to me in the first service too. So I just gave them a free plug. Amen. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, you really should read it. You you ought to read it slow and take note of how Jesus deals with virtually every area of life and living that matters. He touches on life in the raw. He touches on life as we experience it. He teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount how to deal with almost every possible problem and crisis and challenge. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. I'll give you an example. On the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters, all right, he sat down at the Mount of Olives and he taught his disciples. It it amazes me how the Sermon on the Mount came flowing out of the mouth of Jesus. This incredible, um, this incredible teaching on life and the truth of life and the problems we experience in life and how to handle them where you come out on top and not defeated by life. He taught us how to respond to enemies. He taught us how to let our light shine. He taught us how to keep a clean heart, how to forgive, how not to worry, how not to lust, how not to retaliate against wrongs done against us. He taught us uh, how to have the right motives for praying and fasting and giving. He taught the model prayer right there in in the greatest sermon ever preached. He gave us the greatest prayer ever prayed, the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. That's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's amazing 
what came out of our Lord's mouth. It's amazing. He taught us in the Sermon on the Mount how to put God first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Having the right kind of treasures. Uh, make your treasures in heaven, not on earth. He taught us how to trust God to provide and take care of us. He taught us, he warned us against false prophets, false teachers, false Christ, false messiahs. He said, watch out, beware, don't be deceived. All these things and many, many more issues and topics are found in the Sermon on the Mount. And so after this masterful teaching, he tags it with this story of two builders. He said, let me tell you how important it is that you not only hear what I just said, and by implication, folks, not only what he just said, but the rest of the entire Bible and what it says. He tagged it with this story of two builders. They both decide to build a house. And as they're building, one of them builds on a foundation of rock, The other one builds on a foundation of sand. And what Jesus is telling us is what every builder knows. The most important thing about anything you build is not the exterior. It is what you build it on. It it is the foundation. That's the most important thing. Because you can build a beautiful house, a beautiful structure, immense, uh, uh, impressive, beautiful bricks, beautiful interior decoration a beautiful architectural rendering, a, a, a beautiful home on, a, on the greatest street in the city. You can build an incredible house, but if it's not build on a, built on a good foundation, you are not a wise builder because storms are going to come. We know that in the South. We know that tornadoes come. We know that hail comes. We know that terrible windstorms and floods come. We know that great rainstorms come. We know that droughts come. We know that adverse weather happens every single year. And what you worry about when a great wind or a great storm comes is not how pretty your house looks. No, you're thinking, is it going to withstand this storm? Is the roof going to stay on? Is the foundation going to be okay? Is the water going to get in through the bricks? Are the windows going to hold? We, we worry about the, the strength of the house and its ability to withstand the storm. Now, that's the way Jesus thought. Jesus thought this way. He said, when you're, you're building a house, it's not your architectural plan that's most important. It's not the size or the inner furnishings or the interior design. It's not the color of bricks. It, it, it's not which side of the tracks you build on. The most important thing is the foundation that's underneath. The foundation is the most important thing in any house because your foundation decides whether or not you survive the storm. And folks, what Jesus is telling us is that our life is exactly the same way. Our life is the same way because suddenly, out of nowhere, storms come. Who would have ever thought three months ago that we would be out of church, that we wouldn't be able to meet, that there would be a virus moving across our nation and people dying. Who would have ever thought that we would be caught up in, in racial turmoil, a racial storm, riots and protests and, and all that's going on? Who would have ever guessed? No, because storms don't send you a telegram saying, hey, next week on Tuesday, I'm arriving at 12.05, get ready for me. No, storms come out of nowhere and suddenly the winds of adversity blow. The rains of trouble fall. 
The floods of spiritual warfare strike your house, your marriage, your money, your health. Out of nowhere, a storm comes. And Jesus is telling us, if you want to be storm ready and if you want to be storm proof, then here's the key. You've got to listen to what I taught and you've got to do it. You've got to do it. You can't just hear it and say, wasn't that a good message? Isn't he an impressive teacher? Like some people come up to me every week. That was a great message, Pastor Jeff. And what I want to know is, well, thank you. But I want to know, are you going to do what you heard? Because an undone word is a worthless word. We need to do the word. Not just hear it, but do it. We got to put feet to it. The house built on the rock stood the storm. And the house built on sand crashed. And great was its fall. And now, the house in Jesus' illustration is your life. That's the house. We're all builders of a life. We're all building a life. From the time you're born to the time you die, you're building a life. That's the house. And our life consists of this. Your life is the sum total of a thousand times a thousand and millions more of decisions you make throughout your life. You are where you are today based on the decisions you made yesterday. We all make decisions every day. All of you, you got up and you decided to come to church. That was a good decision. One day you came to Christ. That was a great decision. One day you decided to get into the Word more than you have been heretofore, and that was a wonderful decision. But we've all made bad decisions, good decisions. We all have decisions we wish we could undo. As Cher sang, and I don't want to quote Cher too much, but if I could turn back time. How many of you wish you could turn back time? But see, when a decision is made, it's made. It's like when you hit send on an email, you can't reach out and bring it back. The email is on the way. You can't stop it. And when we make a decision, those decisions are like bricks on our house. And we're building a house based on the decisions we've made. We are the byproduct of our decisions. And listen, our decisions are the byproduct of the values, the worldview, and the beliefs that we have decided are true for us. I'm going to make my decisions based on what I've decided is true, based on my beliefs. I came to church today, I'm preaching right now because that's my belief. And I'm telling you right now what I believe. I am preaching to you the beliefs that I find in the Bible. And I do my very best all week long to make my decisions based on Scripture so that I can make wise decisions. But you see, the, the, the sum total of my life is the decisions I've made. And I make my decisions based on the values and the beliefs and the morality and the worldview I hold to. What you believe decides the steps of your life. The values you hold decide where you go, what you do, who you run with, what you think about, what you spend your time on. All of that is decided by your beliefs, your values, your worldview, and your morality. Now here's the deal. Most people in our society focus not on the foundation, but on the exterior, what people see. 
we care a whole lot more about what people see than what our foundation is. How many people out there in that culture focus much on the foundation? The foundation is your beliefs, your values, your worldview, your morality. That's your foundation. Who your God is, that's your foundation. Who has your ear, that's your foundation. Who's teaching you, that's your foundation. Jesus said, I want me and my teachings to be your foundation. That's what you build on, and that's a rock foundation. And if it's not Jesus Christ and his teachings, it's a foundation of sand. We rarely stop to assess what we believe and what is, what is driving our decisions. And my message today is to get us to take a look at our foundation. Because I want everybody in this church, everybody watching by streaming, everybody who hears us on radio, social media, going all over the United States, I want you to think about your foundation. Because your foundation is what's going to decide whether or not you survive the storm. We're in a nation of storms right now. There's a storm everywhere. We woke up to a storm, we're going to bed with a storm around us. So the storm is either going to take people down or it's going to make you stronger. And it's decided by your foundation. Your beliefs make up your foundation. Our foundation is comprised of the morality we choose to live by. Where are you getting your morals? Are you getting your morals from Oprah, Dr. Phil? Are you getting them from a college professor or some secular magazine or TV show? Or are you getting your morals from the Word of God? Our foundation is what we believe about God, eternity, the Bible, and most importantly, our foundation has everything to do with what we do with Jesus. And listen, here's my message today. Not just whether he's our Savior. You know, people say, everybody's a Christian in America. You believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. You're a Christian? Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But then you look at their life and you go, wait a minute. Their lifestyle is not adding up to their profession. So we, we got this greasy grace out there, sloppy agape, fake Christianity, watered-down faith, diluted, polluted teaching and beliefs and doctrine. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. See, Jesus is not just my Savior. I've got more than a ticket to ride when the rapture comes. Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven when I die. I know that. Well, let me ask you another question. Is Jesus your teacher? Well, he's my savior, but I didn't ask you that. I said, is he your teacher? Because Jesus is not only our savior, but the moment he becomes our savior, he becomes our teacher in everything. Jesus is the greatest philosopher that ever lived. The greatest teacher that ever trod planet earth. No man spoke like this man. No man taught like this man. Jesus said, the things that I teach you, I'm getting directly from the Father. So I'm not just teaching you my opinions, but I'm teaching you what almighty, eternal, creator God is downloading to me, and I'm sharing it with you. So Jesus' teachings were not just great teachings of some great teaching man, but he was the very son of the living God, and he was teaching us what God the Father was giving him to teach us. So the teachings of Jesus are supernatural. 
The teachings of Jesus are flawless and perfect. You will never find a fault or a mistake in the teachings of Jesus. He will never revise his teaching. He will never go back and say, well, I should have put it this way. He will never reassess what he's already said because what he said was perfecto. He taught on forgiveness, sexual purity, what holds first place in your life, the things you treasure, what you worship, what you give your strength and effort in life to achieve. All make up your foundation. And Jesus taught about all those things. So see, if I want to survive the storms of life, I've got, he's my teacher. And, 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 and if he says it, then it's right. And if he says it, then that's the way I'm to live. We're not supposed to cherry pick the verses we like. Right? And ignore the ones we don't. No, listen, the Bible is our roadmap. The, the Bible is our unfailing GPS. It, it, is our, it is our guide to carry us through our journey in life till we get to the other side. Until we get there, we've got a roadmap. We've got an instruction manual. We've, we've got the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. Every bit of it is profitable from Genesis to Revelation. It's profitable for instruction and teaching and correction and holy living, and, and living a right life. It's perfecto. It's perfect. What it teaches about finances, morals, marriage, forgiveness, friendships, how to respond to enemies, trials, setbacks, persecution. We're to embrace all of it and do it. Do it. So that was Jesus' emphasis. He said, now, you've, you've heard my Sermon on the Mount. Now, all of you hearers of mine know, I don't want you to be the foolish builder that built on the sand, who heard but didn't do. He heard, but he walked out and forgot what he had heard. James said, when you open up the Word of God, it's like you're looking in a mirror. You're looking in a mirror. You open up that Bible, you're looking in a mirror, and what are you seeing? You're seeing two things. The Bible reveals your flaws, your shortcomings, areas that need to be more like Christ. So So we could say spiritual zits. Spiritual flaws. But it also shows us what we should be. It gives us a perfect reflection of Christ. And James said, don't open it up and see what you should be and then close it and forget what you saw. In other words, the Bible is given to us to do and not just to know. You can know it and not do it. There are people all over the world that know the Word of God inside out, but they don't live it. They don't walk it. They don't try to make it a part of their life. But Jesus said the storms are coming and the rain is going to fall and the winds are going to blow and the floods are going to beat violently against the house of your faith. And whether it stands or falls is going to hinge on whether or not he was your teacher and you did what he said. You built your life, your house on what he said. There's something that's been increasingly um, happening in the American church that I've noticed, and I want to talk to you about it today. This is not corrective in any way. I want it to be instructive, and I want it to be illuminating. I want want us to to understand the way the enemy is attacking the church in the West. Now, I don't know about the church in the East. I'm not in the East, but I'm in the West, and I'm talking about America, England, you know, Western countries. That's what I'm talking about, the church in the West, the American church. There's something happening 
that I want to talk to you about. We live in a day where something called syncretism is gaining ground in God's house. Now you're thinking, well, there you go, Pastor Jeff, throwing out a big word. I don't even know what it means. I know. I'm going to tell you what it means. Syncretism is a word that means the combining of different beliefs into a sort of religious stew. Syncretism. Syncretism is where you cherry pick the things you like from several different belief systems and sort of create your own personalized religion. Syncretism is when the word of God is not the final arbiter of truth for you. Syncretism is when you're open to other things from other religions and other beliefs that don't have anything to do with the word of God. Because after all, we're supposed to be open-minded if we're going to be cool and accepted in this culture. So I got to be open to other thought systems, belief systems, religions. And, 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 and if I want unity, and we want unity above all things, right, then, then I've got to accept, and I need to accept a little bit of Islam over here and New Age over there. A little bit of Middle Eastern uh, or, or Far East mysticism here. I, I need to accept different belief systems, a little bit here and there, and the, the things that I like about the different religions, I need to bring them all into one so that I end up with a mix and not a pure belief system that comes from the Word of God. In other words, there's other beliefs guiding and directing my life, not just the Word of God. Syncretism. Do you know that syncretism is what destroyed Israel? You read the book of Jeremiah and you see, for instance, Jeremiah constantly warning the people. You say you love God, but you're bowing down to other idols, other gods, and that is not the will of God for you. You honor him with your lips, but your heart is far from him. You're accepting the gods of pagan religions around you. And Jeremiah warned them, if you don't stop this, if you don't stay true to God, that he's going to bring judgment to you and you're going to lose everything you have because God has not called us to be syncretistic. He has not called us to embrace every belief system that comes along. He's called us. He's called us to love the Lord thy God. Listen, uh, uh, let me give you an example of what a good syncretist might like. A good syncretist, somebody that is syncretistic or that is walking in syncretism, might like the love and salvation part of Christianity. We all like that. Oh, God's a God of love. I love the love and salvation part of Christianity. I love knowing I'm going to heaven one day. But then they sprinkle it with some Eastern religious mysticism. And then maybe a spattering of Islam because isn't it the message today we're all worshiping the same God just in different religions? So now there's literally a thing called Chrislam. That's syncretism. Salted with a little bit of, I choose my own truth relativism. Finished off with a healthy dash of Oprah's New Age beliefs and Dr. Phil's counsel and advice. And rather than allowing God's word and the Lord Jesus to be our counselor in all things, we're building our houses on a mix God has not called us to look for truth anywhere but in his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to me. 
Colossians 2.8. Let me quote it for you. Beware. Everybody say beware. Lest any man spoil you. That means take you captive through philosophy and vain deceit according to the traditions of men and the principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in him. We don't need anything but him. We don't need truth other than from him. He's enough. He's the beginning. He's the ending. He's my alpha. He's my omega. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. There is no other source of truth, pure truth, undeniable truth, irrefutable truth, but through him. We find in the Bible that God always told his people to avoid syncretism. You must not have any other God but me. Because you see, if they picked another God, beliefs came along with those gods. And so their faith became mixed, and they were building on sand. Joshua commanded Israel, now therefore revere the Lord, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Listen to this, put away the gods that your ancestors served and serve the Lord exclusively only. Serve the Lord only, exclusively, not another God, not more gods, not extra gods, but serve God himself and serve him only. Put away the gods of the world. Put away the gods the world bows down to. Put away the belief systems that are behind their gods. Because your truth is to come, my truth is to come, through the word of God. Jesus taught against syncretism. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters at the same time. You will hate one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to one and not care about the other. You cannot serve two belief systems at the same time. You've got to be totally faithful only to one God. The God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The message of God, the prophets, Jesus, and all the apostles is the Bible should be the final arbiter of all truth about all things for the Christian. Moral truth, ethical truth, financial truth, marital truth, philosophical truth, theological truth. Every every possible tributary of truth is to come from the word of God to us. If Oprah says something that contradicts the Bible, Oprah's wrong. If Dr. Phil advises something the Bible doesn't, Dr. Phil is wrong. If a college professor with 100 degrees in front of his name stands up and says to you something that is not biblical, that professor is wrong. Let God be true and every man a liar. We've got to turn to the word of God for our truth. Listen to what Jesus said in John 17, 17, your word is truth. Psalms 119 verse 160 says, all your words, everybody say all. How many words? All your words are true. Ephesians 1, 13 calls God's word the message of truth. Amen. Now, the good thing about a storm like the one that we've all been walking through in light of these things, the good thing is a good thing about a storm. Let me tell you what it is. Storms reveal the sand in our life. If we're building on sand anywhere in our life, storms have a way of revealing it. Um, 
Storms expose things that we've accepted into our life that are sand and not rock. Worldly values over kingdom values are revealed often in a storm. Misplaced trust in other things is revealed when you get into a storm. Relationships in our life that are not centered around Christ comes to the top, comes to the fore in a storm. We assess, we, listen, storms cause us to stop and reassess our life, do they not? David said, before I was afflicted, before a storm came, I drifted. Before I was afflicted, I drifted. But now that a storm has come, now that I'm afflicted, I have kept your word. I'm keeping your word. He's admitting before the storm came, I was kind of drifting out there. But when a storm hit me, it drove me to the word of God. And I realized I was building my house on some sand. I wasn't spending enough time with you, Lord. I wasn't in your word. I wasn't praying. But now that the storm has come, it's revealed the sand I was building on. And now I am pressing in and I'm keeping your word. Amen. Storms can expose who we're listening to, who has our ear. Are we listening to the culture or are we listening to God? Are we getting our advice from television or are we getting it from the scriptures? Am I getting my morality from my society or am I getting my morality from the word of God? Am I allowing Hollywood to give me my ethics and values and morality in the way that I live? Or am I letting... God's word, teach me. Am I hearing and doing it? Is the word the final arbiter of truth in my life? I don't care what anybody says, and I really don't care what anybody thinks about me, but I do care what he thinks. I care what he thinks. I live for an audience of one. The world will come against you. The world may call you stupid, ignorant, backwoods. The world may call you bigoted and narrow and anything the world wants to call you. That's all right. I don't care. And and you know what? I'd rather you be offended by the word of God than lullabied into hell. I am not going to stand here and tell you something that is not true. I'm not a motivational preacher. God didn't call me to be a motivational coach. I'm not a life coach. I'm a preacher and teacher of the word of God. And I want to tell you, I've been called to tell you what it says. And I'm telling you what it says. We got to build our life on the teachings of Jesus. Amen. When gold is purified, it's placed into an oven where it melts. And as that gold melts, any impurities come to the top where they're skimmed off by the goldsmith. The goldsmith is watching and, and dark impurities come to the top and he has this tool where he just skims the impurities off the top. You would never know what was in that gold until it's in the fire. And when it gets in the fire and melts and it's in tremendous heat, whatever is in it that is not of gold comes to the top and is skimmed off. Your faith is exactly the same. We never know what, where our faith really is until it's in the fire. I don't know how strong my faith is till it's in the fire and tested. First Peter says, chapter one, verse six, so be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though the going is rough for a while down here. Can I read that again? Even though the going is rough for a while down here, these trials are only to test your faith to see whether or not it is strong and pure. It is being tested 
How? As fire tests gold and purifies it. And your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So if your faith remains strong after being tried in the test tube of fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor in the day of his return. Wonderful. That's a great, great passage. So here's what he's telling us. When when the storms come, rain falls, winds blow, floods hit the house violently. Suddenly, we're in a storm. And that storm is going to reveal how much of Jesus we've built into our foundation. And how much is sand. The good news is that God loves you and me. God never walks away. God never says, well, look at all the sand in their life. I'm out of here. See you later. It's been real. God bless you. Have a good time in hell. God does not do that. No, God says, do you see that sand? You see that relationship that doesn't honor me? Or do you, do you see that worldly value system that you have adopted that is not of me? I, I want you to erase it and replace it. I want to put my kingdom value in, in, into your brain. I want to put my, my word into your mind. I want you to take kingdom values in the place of those worldly values. I want you to have the right concept of God and of me. And, and so the storms reveal it. And the impurity comes to the top and Jesus, the goldsmith, removes the impurities and purifies our faith in the middle of the fire so that when we come out on the other side, listen, our faith is stronger, more pure, we're more influential, we're bringing forth more fruit, and I'm going to say it, we're freer than we were before the storm came. Amen. So I want you to stand with me today, and let me just leave you three simple encouragements. Ready? One, build your life only on the foundation of Jesus Christ and God's Word. If Jesus said it, do it. If the Bible instructs it, live it. Second thing, allow the Lord to expose any sand you may have been building on. Let him expose it. Before I was afflicted, I drifted. But now... I keep your word. Third, know that you're going to emerge from this trying time purified, stronger, and more fruitful than ever. Amen. Can we say together, his word is truth. No matter who tells me something, if it's not biblical, it's not true. Amen. I don't care if it's a movie star that makes a hundred million a year pretending there's somebody else on screen. That's all they do. So what? Does that make them philosophers? Does that make them counselors? No, no. I've known people that had five degrees in front of their name and lived stupid lives, foolish lives. No, no. Wisdom comes from above. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? Say, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Jesus. Can we say, thy word is truth. Now pray this with me. Lord, search me and know me in this time of storm. Any sand in my life that I've been building on, Show it to me and remove it 
I want to build on rock. In Jesus' name. And I say, Lord, you're my Savior, and you are my teacher. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. Amen, amen. Amen. And I had a couple come up after the first service. Very sharp couple. The man was an attorney, and she had her degree in English literature. And he said, you know, no, she said to me, she said, it took me a while to accept Jesus as teacher. Because Savior, cool, I'm going to heaven. But bless those that curse you. Do good to those that hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Turn the other cheek. No, no, no. I'm not liking this teacher. But she said, I found that when I did what he taught, it set me free. You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So that was a great testimony from a very educated success. This guy was not only an attorney, he had been a JAG. He had served 20 years in the military and had risen to the level of being a JAG, which is a big deal. And yet here they were saying, we love hearing the word of God straight up. And she was very honest with me about the teacher thing and, and Jesus. It's not easy to do what Jesus said. I don't want to forgive them. I want, I want Texas justice. But no, you do what he said. He's my teacher. He's my teacher. Amen? Amen. Well, you guys, are you glad you came to church today? You look good. You look good. Now, Wednesday nights, I won't be here for three weeks. I'm writing a book, as I told you, I think at the start. I'm writing it on race, racial healing. And um, I'm taking my sermon from two weeks ago, Jesus the Wall Breaker, and I'm writing a booklet. And... um, we're going to send it out over, we're on over 400 radio stations in America. We're going to make it available over the radio. And we're, going to, of course, going to make it available here because we want to play a part in racial healing. And so Wednesday nights, Pastor Brendan's going to be here for three Wednesday nights teaching on kingdom reconciliation. So come and shout him down, amen him, and pray for me because I have three weeks to finish that book. I've done the... Uh, introduction and I've done one chapter and it will be a booklet uh, thinner than a normal book but uh, I'm going to do it I believe God wants me to do it and I'm into it let me tell you so pray for me all right I love you guys Cindy loves you you're noticing she's not here she has an upper respiratory infection and she's on antibiotics and she hasn't come out of the woods yet so she didn't want to come and scare you Hey, good to see you. Because that's how she sounds. And oh, you know, what's wrong with you? So she and she didn't feel good either. So she's home, so please pray for her. Cindy, we miss you and uh, we love you. Amen. All right. Um, but that's it. And I want to pray over you before you go. Father, thank you for this precious congregation. Lord, I pray you'll help all of us to be founded on the rock to build our lives on the rock. And Lord, I pray your face shines on us and that you help us to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. 
Lord, bless this congregation in their going out and in their coming in, in the storehouse and in the field. And I thank you, Lord, for bringing us together again next week, safe and sound and healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. God bless you. Have a blessed week. Thank you for coming.